0: From the State Capitol, WFSU Public Media brings you Capital Report. Florida lawmakers appear ready to consider some sweeping changes that could run afoul of First Amendment guarantees, although its supporters insist that's not the idea at all. To,
1: to even be part of this discussion, someone has to publish the false statement about you that has harmed your reputation.
0: Also this week, Governor DeSantis takes aim at environmentally and socially conscious investing.
2: What it's devolved into is a mechanism to inject political ideology into investment decisions, corporate governance, and really just
0: the, the everyday economy. We'll also get a preview of how state lawmakers may move on several other priorities during the upcoming session, such as education and immigration. Here comes at least 60 days of politics, posturing, and even some public policy. I'm Tom Flanagan, this is Capital Report. Florida lawmakers will consider a proposal to rewrite rules around who is considered a public figure and what circumstances would constitute a defamation claim against media outlets. Lynn Hatter reports the proposals are raising concerns about whether the plans are constitutional and violate free speech rights.
3: Pensacola Republican Rep. Alexandrati brought up the case of Nicholas Sandman. In 2017, the then 16-year-old was in Washington, D.C. when he and a group of his peers encountered protesters. A viral social media video showed Sandman wearing a MAGA hat and standing in front of Native American elder Nathan Phillips and appearing to smile. Phillips told reporters that Sandman had blocked his path. Sandman said he was standing still to defuse the situation. The incident was widely covered by national news outlets, and the then-16-year-old received backlash. He later sued several media outlets for defamation. He lost some cases and settled others. Sandman was not a public figure before this moment, and Representative Andrade says Sandman never should have been thrust into such a public spotlight.
1: In defending against the defamation lawsuits that Sandman brought, many of these news outlets tried to argue that this high school student was a public figure But he was a public figure based solely on the fact that he was being defamed. The the fact that that argument could even conceivably be made is just something that I think is, is egregious.
3: Andrade's bill would narrow the legal definition of public figure, excluding people who become famous from a viral video, like Sandman. The measure would broaden the definition of who was considered a journalist. It would also deem any statements given by an anonymous source automatically false in defamation cases, and the bill attempts to force journalists to reveal their sources. The bill also prevents anyone from making claims about racism, bigotry, and discrimination against a subject if those positions are part of that person's scientific or religious beliefs. Critics argue the bill's language is too broad and would lead to a silencing of criticism against traditional public figures like government officials. There are also concerns the measure is unconstitutional. Andrade doesn't see it that way.
1: Some of the debate on this bill misses the point that we are starting from a defamation uh, like starting line. um, to, To even be part of this discussion, someone has to have published a false statement about you that has harmed your reputation. Um, and so there's, there's plenty of it where everyday folks have suddenly become public figures Um, because of the power of social media. And some of that stuff needs to be correct and addressed. The
3: proposal has drawn consternation from traditional media organizations, academic groups, and even the nonpartisan Foundation for Independent Rights and Expression, called FIRE. It's often agreed with Republicans on issues like banning free speech zones on college campuses. FIRE worries that any speech a public figure thinks paints them negatively, even if it's true, could be grounds for a lawsuit even if that speech came from a private person.
4: You have a private
0: citizen lodge an allegation, whether it's, you know, letter to the editor or whether it's in a radio interview. Joe Cohn
3: is with fire.
0: And that public figure sues them, alleging defamation, but no longer has to prove the high threshold of actual malice. Now those cases will proceed, and be more costly to the person who has to defend against it
4: it's neither liberal or conservative it's neither right nor left it impacts it's a blunt instrument it impacts everybody equally perhaps conservative and christian media is going to be the most vulnerable
3: bobby block is the executive director for the florida first amendment foundation The bill comes after years of increased pressure and public anger directed at media in all of its forms, from traditional news outlets to social media to entertainment bloggers. The list goes on. Critics on the right argue there's a liberal bias and have railed against what they see as a culture that deems any form of criticism as automatically racist. Critics on the left feel traditional outlets are old-fashioned in their assessments and don't investigate discrimination, classism, or other-isms enough. Then there's disinformation. That's wrong information deliberately intended to mislead. This is what can usually be found online in outlets that masquerade as legitimate. The solution to the cultural fractures that play out across all mediums, says Block, is not this bill.
4: I think a lot of people who may be frustrated at at the traditional media which reflects what is increasingly become an ugly national political discourse you know may see right i feel good Uh, the media is being punished when in effect fact the media is being chilled and intimidated into silence or or even worse
3: meanwhile a watered down version of the measure in the senate is being brought by republican jason brodeur of lake mary Brodeur also has another bill that would require people like bloggers who write about state officials and get paid for their work to register with the state. In a statement to Florida Politics, the senator likened those bloggers to lobbyists and said they should have to register just as lobbyists do. The bill would not apply to websites run by newspapers or other traditional outlets. A similar defamation bill was floated last year, but it was never filed. This year is much different as Florida Republicans hold all state offices and a supermajority in the Florida legislature. I'm Lynn Hatter.
0: Governor DeSantis has outlined proposed legislation that targets environmental, social, and governance standards, known as ESG. Gina Jordan reports it would impact various business transactions and investing in state and local governments.
2: Uh, The subject of today, Uh, is tackling this issue of ESG. Now, they created this. These things just happen. I don't know where this stuff comes from, but these elites grab it, and they really want to impose it on the rest of us.
5: Governor DeSantis went to Florida Southwestern State College in Fort Myers last month to explain the legislation. It addresses where the state's financial reserves are deposited, and it would expand rules to prevent state pension investments that use ratings Republican leaders refer to as WOKE.
2: Basically, I think what it's devolved into is a mechanism to inject political ideology into investment decisions, corporate governance, and really just the the everyday economy.
5: ESG involves aligning an investment strategy to environmental and social values and ensuring that whatever business is being invested in treats people and the environment well. Republican leaders in Florida and other states have targeted ESG for taking into account issues such as climate change, racial inequality, and supply chain labor standards. The legislative proposals also aim to protect consumers from discrimination by financial institutions because of their religious or political beliefs. Those institutions would be barred from using social credit scores in banking and lending decisions.
2: What ESG says is, no, we're not going to do, even if it would do a better return, we're not going to allow you to invest in certain areas. You're not allowed to invest in oil and gas. You're not allowed to invest um, in in disfavored areas. So they're constricting the ability of people uh, to invest your money, and obviously that means you're going to not do as well as you otherwise could have. When we're talking about attacking the, the fossil fuel industry and all the other things it does, is going to drive up our costs. And we've already seen that. We haven't built a refinery since the 70s. It's crazy. And then you have Joe Biden going to Venezuela and saying, please give us fuel.
5: House Speaker Paul Renner says the proposals are about national security and restoring energy independence.
2: What happens is the people at the very top, those asset managers like BlackRock, take all of our money and they invest it in one narrow ideological direction. They don't speak for your voice or mine, they speak for their voice.
5: BlackRock is the largest asset management firm in the world. The News Service of Florida reports CEO Larry Fink sent a letter last year to corporate executives saying companies using ESG are performing better than their peers. But, according to Bloomberg, BlackRock set a record last year for the largest amount of money lost by a single firm over a six-month period. Even so, a December report from information technology company Infosys Research concluded that increased ESG investment correlates with higher profits.
4: This is nothing new. It started nearly 20 years ago. The United Nations asked a group of financial institutions around the world to come up with a report about this, and that's where ESG was basically invented. And the title of that report was, Who Cares Wins? And they're talking about bottom line, not just the planet.
5: That's Ken Russell with Longevity Partners, a global financial and sustainability firm that works in ESG. They have an office in Miami where Russell is a former city commissioner.
4: Now, if the financial industry, which is traditionally a very conservative institution, wants to put their money in places that reduce uh, carbon emissions, greenhouse gas emissions, that should be their choice. There shouldn't be a mandate against that from the government. This is certainly government overreach, overreach into the financial sector.
5: Speaking on the Florida Roundup, Russell said 90% of the S&P 500 index of leading publicly traded companies in the U.S. use ESG metrics.
4: This idea that you have to have a binary choice between the environment or business is misplaced. It's good for politics, but the truth about ESG is it's actually very good for business.
5: Last year, a rule change within the state board of administration prohibited investment managers from considering ESG standards when choosing investments. This year, DeSantis wants the legislature to get the rule into state
0: statutes.
5: I'm Gina Jordan.
0: Coming up on Capitol Report, Florida school board races would become partisan contests under a bill lawmakers will consider during the upcoming session, but the proposal isn't getting universal applause.
6: Partisan school board races will create an us versus them mindset instead of the perspective that we are all here seeking to do what is best for our children.
0: A father of six talks about how a private school scholarship has benefited his dyslexic son.
2: We were able to get a reading specialist who specializes in children with dyslexia to enable him to start to learn how to read.
0: Governor DeSantis's immigration policies are receiving pushback from undocumented students whose parents brought them to Florida as small children.
3: Their family or their friends had to uh, leave their country for some particular reason to find a better future.
0: Republicans in the Florida legislature want to make changes to local elections. As Valerie Crowder reports, proposals filed in advance of the lawmaking session that begins next week would make those races partisan and shorten school board member term limits to a maximum of eight years.
7: Proposals to make changes to school board races were taken up during a recent meeting of the House Subcommittee on Choice and Innovation. One bill would reduce term limits from 12 years to eight. The other would make school board races partisan. Republican Representative Spencer Roach of North Fort Myers is the bill sponsor and says it would bring more transparency to those elections.
0: Government in the sunshine, we're proud of that. If you feel the need to hide who you are from voters to get elected, That's a fundamental problem. The transparency piece to me is fundamental.
7: Rachel gunter Shepard is with the Pastors for Florida Children and is a parent herself. She says she believes the bill will distract school board members by focusing on politics instead of children.
6: Partisan school board races will create an us-versus-them mindset instead of the perspective that we are all here seeking to do what is best for our children, no matter what side of the aisle our decision might end up on.
7: Lawmakers are also considering a proposal to make city and county commissioner races partisan. Tallahassee Mayor John Daly said in a statement to WFSU News, quote, local government is about service delivery and quality of life, not partisan politics, end quote. Daly is a registered Democrat, but he didn't run as one because the races are nonpartisan. Another measure regarding school board elections would shorten term limits for board members from 12 years to eight years. That's similar to one that failed last year. Chris Doolin represents the Small School District Council Consortium.
1: I'm asking you to oppose this unnecessary regulation and protect choice, maximum choice, that doesn't limit a person from running and doesn't limit a voter from supporting a candidate of their choice.
7: Sean Frost describes himself as a, quote, recovering school board member, He served on the Indian River County School Board and was part of the Ada's Great Term Limits campaign.
2: You know, I know what it takes to do the job, and fresh faces, fresh perspectives, and fresh opportunities are a good thing in governance. And for that reason, I urge your support.
7: The measures on partisan local races would require a constitutional amendment. If they pass the Republican-controlled legislature, they would go before voters in 2024. 60% of voters would need to support it for approval. The bill proposing term limits for school board members, however, would take effect without voter approval if it passes the legislature. I'm Valerie Crowder.
0: Florida lawmakers have proposed bills to remove income caps from the state's school voucher programs that would make every school-aged child in the state eligible for private school scholarships or get funding for other education-related expenses. Brendan Brown reports parents are split on how the
8: plan will benefit as well as affect their child's education. Scamdenberg is a father of six. With the son who has dyslexia and ADHD, Donberg says the Florida Empowerment Scholarship Program has helped his son with his education. Donberg says he used the scholarship money on tuition and a private tutor who was able to help his son learn how to read.
2: We right away applied for the FES UA scholarship and we were awarded it. Thankfully, we were not stuck on a waiting list, thank God, and we were able to make sure that not only was part of his tuition being paid for, but more importantly, we were able to get a reading specialist who specializes in children with dyslexia to enable him to start to learn how to read.
8: Angela Rivera's son has autism. She says he's benefited from the family's use of the Florida Empowerment Scholarship Program, which they use to send the child to a private school.
7: The blessing of the scholarship and the ESA is why our son is thriving today. Only parents know what is best for their
5: children. Every family should choose where their child is educated based on their individual needs and abilities. The flexibility of ESA gives more options and opportunities to Florida families.
8: Valerie Lakata, a mom of two, says the vouchers have resulted in less support for the public schools in her community. Both of her kids are in public school, and she believes the vouchers are compromising her children's education. In Florida, money follows the student, and when those kids leave public schools, the funding leaves with them. While
7: Universal Vouchers on the surface expands choice in education, it does not expand the quality of my choices. This leaves me to choose between multiple underfunded systems compromising my children's education. The universal pr- voucher program would only harm my community. We don't have easily accessible private, is- private institutions, yet our public schools are nestled within our neighborhood.
8: Tiffany Brave, a mother of three, believes public schools can provide more for students' education and learning if more families had their kids attend them.
7: We should be investing in our public schools to ensure that all students have access to high-quality education they deserve. Public schools provide a vital foundation for our democracy, offering an equal opportunity for all students to learn and grow, regardless of their background, income, or learning differences. This is an issue of equity for all students.
0: I'm Brendan Brown. A measure aimed at curbing local ordinances that hurt private businesses is under consideration by the legislature for a second year. As Margie Menzel explains, supporters say the bill would help small businesses, while opponents say it would shackle local government's ability to respond to the concerns of their residents.
9: Senate Bill 170 would require local governments to stop enforcing a challenged ordinance while a lawsuit plays out. Plaintiffs who win their cases in court could receive up to $50,000 for attorney fees and costs. Critics say cities and counties would face increased threats of litigation under the bill. But Senator Dennis Baxley, a Eustace Republican, says legislators have a stake in the local ordinances.
0: And we have to remember, we're local government people, too. We, we are involved in those elections. We live in these communities. We're, we're not out of that discussion. Uh, but at the same time, there has to be a way that these things get resolved when it gets contentious.
9: Miami-Dade Mayor Daniela Levine-Cava, a Democrat, says her county has a standing objection to all preemption bills, which allow higher levels of government to limit the power of a lower level of government. She calls this one, quote, very extreme.
5: It is going to tie hands at local government at the, at the local level, and we are the closest to the people. We understand firsthand our community's priorities. We respond daily to their needs. Bills like this undermine our capacity to serve our residents.
9: Under current law, anyone can file lawsuits challenging ordinances and seek injunctions. But until judges rule on those cases, the ordinances can be in effect. Senator Travis Hudson, a Palm Coast Republican, sponsored last year's bill and supports this one. He says the measure requires judges to rule on challenges to ordinances as quickly as possible. Today, if you could get that injunction from the judge, it could take months, if not years, to actually get to court to figure out whether the ordinance was in effect or not. And this bill puts the injunction in in effect immediately but urges the courts as a rocket docket to go faster so everything is figured out almost essentially as quick as possible so that the ordinance could really go in effect and not be held up in the court system. Is that what we're looking at today? Rich Templin is the AFL-CIO's Director of Politics and Public Policy. He believes the bill, if passed, would prevent local governments from being responsive to all the people they represent.
10: Environmental issues social justice issues, uh, uh, fair working conditions issues. All of those issues are now essentially going to be preempted when this bill passes. The ability for local governments to, to function still remains, and that's great. We all need that to happen. But all of those other things I talked about
4: will be history.
9: But Senator Jay Trumbull, a Panama City Republican and the bill's sponsor, says the courts will prevent bad actors from misusing the measure.
0: If the court finds that, that these things, that, that, that a, a plaintiff is bringing a lawsuit because for economic advantage or unnecessary delay or for any other bad reason, uh, that plaintiff can be sanctioned.
9: The Senate passed a similar bill during the 2022 legislative session, but it wasn't approved by the House. Some local governments oppose this year's bill, but the Florida League of Cities and the Florida Association of Counties support it. Opposition comes from environmental, labor, and social justice groups. I'm Margie Menzel.
0: Dozens of Florida undocumented students and community leaders gathered at Miami for a roundtable discussion this week following Governor Ron DeSantis' call to expand immigration policies. The event gave undocumented students a voice to tell the state's governor what the American Dream meant to them. Adrian Andrews has that story. Isabella did not give her last name.
10: She identifies herself as, quote, Dreamer student. She's an undocumented immigrant who was brought here from Columbia as a minor. Now she lives in Miami and takes classes at Florida International University. Isabella spoke at an event by the American Business Immigration Coalition to advocate for other dreamers like her to speak out.
3: The whole state, the whole country, all of us somehow have a connection to immigrants. Their family or their friends had to uh, leave their country for some particular reason to find a better future, not just for their own uh, well-being, but also for you know, the entire community of Florida.
10: If Florida lawmakers adopt the governor's plan, undocumented immigrants won't be able to practice law in Florida nor qualify for in-state tuition for higher education. DeSantis also wants to revive a plan to require private businesses to verify their employees' immigration status. DeSantis recently told reporters that passing legislation would combat the effects of inflation on higher ed.
2: So if we want to hold the line on tuition, then you got to say you need to be a US citizen who lives in Florida. Why would we subsidize non-US citizen uh, when we want to make sure we can keep it affordable for our own
10: people. The governor's plan would repeal a law approved under former Republican governor and now U.S. Senator Rick Scott. He signed the law in 2014 and recently told supporters at last week's campaign rally in Tampa that he would do so again. I'm Adrian Andrews.
0: You're listening to Capital Report from WFSU Public Media. I'm Tom Plantingan. Finally this week, Global conflicts like the war in Ukraine are driving an increasing number of foreign-born immigrants to Florida. As people seeking asylum wait for their paperwork to be processed, they can face medical and psychological problems. Some are finding help at a volunteer clinic in Tampa. WUSF's Carrie Sheridan tells us doctors and medical students at the University of South Florida are stepping in to prevent refugees from falling through the cracks of the U.S. healthcare system. All
3: right, so let me get off some gloves.
6: The pop-up there. clinic takes place on a weekday evening in the lobby of a USF Health Medical School building on the Tampa campus. Inside an office nook converted to a patient room, a medical student asks a man from the Philippines about an injury to his arm. Have you
3: been having any pain
6: here? The patient is a 54-year-old man named Serbando. We're not using his last name because he's undocumented. He says he was working as a welder when a piece of hot metal broke off, scorching a six-inch-long wound in his shoulder. That injury happened in 2019 and didn't heal well. So several weeks ago, the refugee clinic arranged a surgery for him to remove a hard lump that had formed in his scar tissue. The medical student talks to him with the help of a translator dialed in by phone.
3: Perfect. I heard you had some trouble removing the bandage they put on your arm. Is that right?
6: The student tells him he sees no sign of infection. It's looking better now. Serbando says the injury has been weighing on his mind.
3: Yes, I was really actually
9: very scared about that. It's just really a good thing that they helped me here at the refugee center that they're able to
6: remove that mass on my right side of the arm. The clinic is all volunteer. Its goal is to help people, whether they're seeking asylum or are undocumented. It's staffed by medical students, many of whom had parents who were immigrants themselves, like clinic co-director Richa Bisht, a fourth-year medical student at USF. Her parents came to America from India.
5: If you're in a new country, not having access to health care is one more burden that makes transitioning to life here more difficult. So I think the services we provide are essential.
6: Once a month, the clinic is for people from all over, Venezuela, Cuba, Afghanistan, Myanmar, and beyond. A second monthly clinic is specifically for Ukrainians who've arrived since the war with Russia began a year ago. The patient's stories are all different. For 28-year-old Tatiana, who worked as a tailor in Ukraine, the memories of escaping her home in Kharkiv are still fresh and uh, I wake up because it's very big, loud, and I come in the window, it's uh, sky all red, and every second, (laughs) very loud. She fled her homeland and later learned that Russian soldiers raided her shop. All the clothes and sewing equipment were gone. And after this, uh, my heart broke because I understand uh, it's all uh, die, you know, what I all life do, what I love, you know, all die. And... As she tries to start over in America, the refugee clinic has helped her get health care for herself and immunizations for her son so he can attend school. Tatiana says it really helps that it's free. Because it's all expensive, all expensive. I not have money to <laughs> in America. Nothing Lucy Guerra, professor of medicine at USF Health, says the patients share a common thread.
5: Most of them are people who have left their country for religious reasons, persecution for political reasons, some because of their sexual orientation. All of them have experienced some type of trauma, whether it's physical or
3: emotional trauma.
6: On top of that, many face a period of time when they just don't have access to health insurance, drawing attention to gaps in the U.S. healthcare system and what can be done to fill them. I'm Carrie Sheridan in Tampa.
0: Our regular Capital Report correspondents are Adrian Andrews, Brendan Brown, Valerie Crowder, Gina Jordan, Lynn Hatter, Regan McCarthy, and Margie Menzel. Thanks also to Kerry Sheridan. Technical assistance for Capital Report comes from Evan Rossi, and I'm Tom Flanagan. The 2023 Florida Legislative Session kicks off next Tuesday, March 7th. Our coverage starts with Governor DeSantis' State of the State Address at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Tuesday. Then Mondays through Thursdays throughout session, Capitol Report will be available as a podcast online, available from wherever you get your podcasts. Then every Friday, many of these Florida public radio stations will air a half-hour wrap-up of the week's top stories from the Capitol. That program can also be found as an online podcast. We hope you'll join us online and on air throughout the Florida legislative session for more reports from the state capitol. Capital Report is a production of WFSU Public Media in Tallahassee.